Last week on Let's Talk Supply Chain, Brad, the VP of Partners and Products at Demand Driven Technology, joined me to talk all about what Demand Driven does, visibility and consumer demand in supply chain, the impact of e-commerce, and what the future is going to bring for demand-driven supply chain. We may have also talked about how it could have been a huge help to those empty shelves when it came to toilet paper. If you missed it, don't worry. We have everything over at letstalksupplychain.com forward slash podcasts, and you can check that out. It's episode 190. Let's Talk Supply Chain is not your average supply chain podcast. We feature not just the top of the industry, but also diverse voices from within the community. New innovations and the disruptors making waves in the industry. Don't listen to the same old, same old. Be sparked by new ideas and fresh perspectives only on Let's Talk Supply Chain. E2Open is an end-to-end supply chain software platform helping the largest companies in the world with the most complex supply chains in the world. They are partnering with their customers on collaboration, visibility, network connectivity, and handling disruptions. And they see that the ultimate value lies in people and meeting their needs. That's why they partner with their customers. If you are looking for an end-to-end supply chain solution, check out e2open.com. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Let's Talk Supply Chain. This week, I am going to be on a panel with Industry Star talking all about the future of supply chains. Plus, we have a secret big milestone episode that we are recording this week to come out a few weeks from now. And I cannot wait to share that with you because this is going to be a lot of fun. Today, I'm excited to welcome a woman in supply chain who has had an impressively long-standing and diverse career. She's worked in software, marketing, and research for some big industry names from Procter & Gamble to Kraft before breaking away and starting her own firm in 2012. Who is it? Well, I will reveal that after our question of the week. So the question of the week was, what's the biggest obstacle you've faced in your career so far and how did you overcome it? Tim Ingram meeting my wife. She worked three desks down asking her for a date and convincing her to marry me and her saying yes. Everything else in supply chain was easier comparatively. I love that. Simon, four months into my contracting career with three unpaid invoices, the agency I was working through went bust, resulting in a long story of pain and woe and some harsh business lessons. I was this close to going under myself, but perseverance, diligence, and some luck made it through. Simon, thank you so much for uh, telling us your story. Anindya, biggest is office politics and you overcome it by either getting into it or moving out. I personally always chose the second as it required to push myself upward rather than pulling someone else down. I love that. I actually responded and said that facing my fear of public speaking was a huge obstacle for me. Instead of going to Toastmasters, I hired a talent agent to help me face that fear. You can actually read more of my comment and my story over on the Let's Talk Supply Chain LinkedIn page. 
Um, Davin says sudden and complete change of job and duties was asked to take on a project I had zero experience with, but my management figured I could handle. Took a lot of extra hours and refreshing my understanding of processes through research and reaching out to my network to figure it out. I love that. Abruna the biggest obstacle was thinking I was not good enough, that I had to be some kind of expert in procurement. I overcame that by facing my own anxieties and realizing we are all on different stages of our journeys, that I bring value to others in my own unique way. Wow. Thank you so much for sharing that. And we had a lot of amazing, amazing stories over on my personal LinkedIn page as well. So now back to today's podcast and the wonderful woman in supply chain I have with me today is Laura Ciceri, founder of Supply Chain Insights. She works with supply chain leaders to take teams to higher levels of excellence. With research in her veins, Laura's firm focuses on the changing face of enterprise technologies, paving new directions and building thought-leading supply chain research. And as if that didn't keep her busy enough, Laura is also the author of popular blog, Supply Chain Shaman, a columnist for several industry publications and the author of two books. What a woman! Today, Laura will be talking to us about her incredible career so far, her passion for research and the future of supply chain. So welcome to the show, Laura. Hey, thanks. It's so good to be here. I am so excited to have you here. I am honored to have you with us today because I've wanted to invite you on the show for a while. And so I'm really looking forward to talking with you, hearing about your story and really, you know, making an impact on the industry from your journey to success, your perspectives, and just learning about that side of you. So one of my favorite things about our Woman in Supply Chain series is that we get to go all the way back to the beginning and see where today's inspirational women began. So can you take us back to where it all started for you and, and take us through that journey? What does it look like? Wow, let's go way back in time. So I will turn 67 this year. So I am a baby boomer. And uh, I grew up in the mountains of West Virginia and knew I wanted to go to college. And my father really wanted me to have kind of a okay female job, like a teacher or a nurse. And uh, we settled on a dietitian role, and I did my internship in dietetics and was on a psychiatric ward with, um, you know, trays of low-salt diets and decided that wasn't for me. So I went home and told my parents I was going to get a second degree, and my mother cried and my father wrung his hands, and I agreed that I would pay for my second degree, which was chemical engineering. And... There weren't any women in my chemical engineering class, so it was hard, but I got there because I interviewed the uh, prospective graduates in my dorm. I put myself through school as an RA, resident assistant, and I liked what chemical engineers could do, problem solving, the ability to own their own career. And so I forged ahead, even though I didn't quite like chemical engineering classes, but I was fortunate enough to land a co-op job with P&G and manufacturing, and I loved manufacturing, and that kind of spawned my career. Back in those days, there was not a term widely used called supply chain. Supply chain was defined in 1982, 
So wow. I was one of those people that was fighting for a seat at the table or the ability to even have a supply chain discussion. And then I moved through progressive manufacturing jobs for about 15 years, raised a daughter, single parent, recovered from cancer, uh, and um, went from manufacturing to distribution. And that was really a great career move because I think that sometimes people get stuck in a function and they don't understand other functions. And then I went from that to building distribution centers and doing last mile delivery for a company called Dryer's Grand Ice Cream and got recruited by a supply chain planning company. And so I started to build software and that was a great experience because it was so different than manufacturing. And then I went into the world of the analyst and I've been an analyst for about two decades. And people will say to me, well, you're a consultant, aren't you, Laura? And I'm like, no, really, I'm not. Consultants know the answers and analysts are trying to figure out the questions to ask. So it's a little bit of a different take, but I write for Forbes and I write on my own blog and I do primary research in the industry. And I'm followed now by about 320,000 people worldwide who really want an independent voice on supply chain. So that's kind of a long answer, but I hope it helps. Oh, I absolutely love that answer because sometimes we skip those important transitions in our journeys. And I think it's important that we we take a look back and see what worked and what didn't and also talk to the audience about, you know, you might make a transition and it might work or it might not, but it's okay. And that's sort of the trajectory of your, your journey and you learn so much along the way. And I also like the fact that you we're able to talk about, you know, analyst versus consultant because you're right. It gets lumped together quite a bit and people get, you know, analysts get, um, you know, pigeonholed maybe as consultants. And I like how you differentiated the two. So I mentioned in the intro that you're the founder of Supply Chain Insights. Let's talk a little bit about that because that's that's really where you've spent the last um, little while of your career. So what does that business do and how is it really helping in the industry? So Supply Chain Insights was founded in 2012. So, you know, it's almost a decade of work. Uh, and, you know, originally uh, it came out of necessity because I worked for a company called AMR Research, which was an analyst firm. And I was really loving what I was doing and thought I would retire from there. I learned a lot about quantitative research methods. But it turned out that the founder uh, wanted to basically exit the business. He had wanted to IPO for a while and his wife wanted an apartment in New York. So he offered the business for sale and he got a stock offer from Forrester and a cash offer from Gartner. So he went with the Gartner offer and I'd previously worked for Gartner and don't believe in the Gartner methodology. So I'm like, well, what's a gal to do? And I decided to start my own business, which was really, really difficult because yep. I had never run my own business. And I got to tell you, it is really hard because, you know, no one wants to pay you. And, uh, you know, it's, you know, a struggle, uh, you know, building brand, building presence, building relevance, and then, you know, fighting all of the issues with, you know, working across different 
countries and, you know, managing, you know, all of the sides of business. So it's not easy, but I'm glad I did it. Yeah. Is it something like, is it your passion? Is it something that you're feeling? And I think you are making an impact with it, but how do you see that? Is that, is it your passion? Are you making an impact? So I like to think that for business leaders, they see me as the straight shooting, tell it like it is gal, and that I make an impact for them. And I'm hoping that, you know, when I decide to retire and hang up my shingle, that people will say, you know, she told it like it is. And, you know, we believed in her and it was independent because so much of the writing in the industry is really subsidized by someone and is really more of a marketing piece. And what I've tried to do is build a database of, you know, a decade of quantitative research tied to financial data to basically map out the decade of what did we do that created value and where did we stub our toes and what can we learn about that for the next decade. And I'm in the process of writing a new book about that. And I'm hoping that, you know, years down the road, it can help people that are in the next generation supply chain world to, you know, have some perspective. I like that. And I'm glad that you brought up the books. Um, and I like the fact that you are focusing on the next generation of supply chain. A lot of people are talking about it, but what are we actually doing about it? Because I feel like there's a lot of gaps between what they're learning at colleges and universities, what the reality really is in the industry, um, you know, and how do we fill that gap and how do we make this industry appealing to the next generation, show them the opportunities. And I'm working on a few things in that area as well. And so I'm glad to hear that you are, you are too. So going back to the book, you're a prolific author, you have a blog, regular columns, and you already have two books. What is it that you love about writing and creating those dialogues for our industry? You know, the whole process of writing is fascinating to me. I, I work on trying to become a better writer, and I've learned a lot uh, about writing, but I think that is a journey that never ends. And the more you write, the easier it is to write. And I try to tell stories that uh, make the writing memorable and impactful for people versus just an academic or a point of view. And I try to weave in research tidbits so that it's data-driven. And I think my audience likes that. So why do I like to write? It's creative, right? You know, it's no one tells me what to write. I sit down every week and I try to pen three blogs. I'm not always successful at doing my three blogs and my two podcasts, but I try. And I write for the Supply Chain Shaman, which is my personal blog, which is for the planning next generation supply chain leader. And I write for Forbes, which is more of a corporate leader, maybe finance, IT, uh, but it's much more about, you know, a business angle that's more financial. And I write for LinkedIn to try to help people in careers. So they're three different voices that I try to write for. And I try to make it fun and try to share, you know, stories, lessons learned, uh, images along the way to make it interesting. So 
storytelling is really, really important. And you, you just mentioned that as a part of your, your writing process. Do you have a favorite story that you, and I know I'm putting you on the spot, but do you have a favorite story that you could share with us today about your journey and maybe something that, you know, the audience can learn from? Mm, favorite story. Um, or maybe even lesson learned. And, and how did you get to that, to learn that lesson? Well, one of the things I do is everything that I write, I follow the statistics, you know, how many people read it, who read it, you know, how long was it topical, how many comments I'm looking at, you know, some indication of, was it useful? And I have found over time that the blogs that I write from the heart and that I'm willing to be naked, uh, basically use myself as an instrument to share lessons learned and failure, you know, resonate uh, far more. Uh, one blog post that I wrote for LinkedIn is about a letter to my 50-year-old self. And, you know, and Laura's 50-year-old self thought, you know, she had the world as an oyster. She had just gotten remarried and her daughter was getting married and, you know, her mother was doing some great things and she just moved to Boston and had a new job. And, you know, six years later, all of that had changed. And so my letter to my 50 year old self, which I became very naked at writing this, right? Because it was about, you know, very personal side of, you know, failure, success, learning, picking myself up has been read by 165,000 people, I think, the last time I looked on LinkedIn. I was very naked, right? And I wrote an article uh, when I got hacked on LinkedIn about how I became Melania Trump. I was hacked by some folks in Nigeria who were basically trying to use my followers on LinkedIn to basically canvassed for money, which was extremely embarrassing. But when they did, they put a picture on my LinkedIn of I was Melania Trump and that, you know, <laughs> I was from Washington and, you know, and so the story about getting my identity back was really quite interesting, right? And probably the toughest blog that I've written recently that's a story is the death of a data-driven supply chain guy. Uh, it was about a guy by the name of Joe, who was my client for 10 years, and he died of cancer in November. It was very traumatic for me. Um, and I don't know if you've ever read the book Tuesdays with Maury, but for two years, my life was Fridays with Joe because Joe had kidney cancer, and then the kidney cancer became liver and brain and lung cancer. And he was very optimistic. He was going to beat the cancer. And I was not so optimistic. And I said to him, well, Joe, how can I help you through this journey? And, you know, we laughed that we were going to dance 10 years from now and, you know, really, you know, celebrate the fact that he beat cancer, which he didn't. And uh, he said, well, call me once a week and let's talk supply chain. So once a week, I'd call Joe and we'd talk about supply chain. And I like to help think that I helped him through his journey. But I think supply chain is a lot about people and yeah, about being human. Yeah. And, you know, I think in, in both of those stories and everything that you've, you've shared so far is really around being authentic, 
being genuine and really about being empathetic or having empathy. And I think what 2020 has really brought to this industry, it's heightened our awareness around empathy, right? There's a lot of fast moving parts in supply chain. And so we're go, 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 we're doing, we're doing, we're doing. And with everything that happened in COVID, and things getting heightened. I mean, it was great the politicians were, were saying the word supply chains out of their mouths, right? And we were getting more recognition worldwide. But what happened was we really came together as a community and people realized that people are the best part of this industry and that we needed just a little bit more empathy than perhaps we had moved through the industry previous and authenticity and genuinity. And I, you know, just from those, and I'm, and thank you for sharing those stories um, because I can see how emotional you're getting with, with the second one. And just to bring that to the community and share with them, you know, what you were going through and, and how you can bring empathy as a business leader to what you do in your day to day is just incredible. So thank you for that. Now, I want to get back to talking about being a woman in the industry, right? Supply chain has been historically a male-dominated environment. And over the course of your career, you've also worked with some really big names. You mentioned Procter & Gamble. There's Kraft, Nestle, which I would imagine to be competitive, corporate, and again, fairly male-dominated. So as a woman, what was your experience as you moved through the industry and in those types of environments? Well, they were very different, and um, the differences were difficult to understand initially, but really good to look back on in retrospect. So I probably would not be Laura Ciceri in the role that I am now if Procter & Gamble had not been so inclusive on diversity. I was recruited through a co-op program really aimed at diversifying uh, manufacturing by Procter & Gamble. And I had a mentor and my mentor's name was Bob. And back in the day when I hated chemical engineering and it was really hard because, you know, it's tough being the only woman in a tough class, you know, Bob would write me letters and, you know, he would talk about the next co-op assignment I was going to have. And he took a personal interest in me and I probably wouldn't be where I am now without Bob. Now, I like to think that all of us could be like Bob, you know, that we could give a helping hand to somebody who needs mentoring, needs help. And it's for that reason that I answer all the questions on LinkedIn that I get. And I try to write on LinkedIn about life's lessons and careers. But then I went from Procter & Gamble to uh, General Foods, and um, General Foods was not as inclusive about women. And in fact, um, when I was promoted in engineering, I, you know, it was a male engineering team. The group went to lunch and said they wouldn't come back and work for a woman. And when I was promoted to run maintenance, you know, the union shop of 270 mechanics uh, boycotted the next day. Imagine how that makes you feel. And, um, you know, when I went out on pregnancy leave, um, you know, I got three weeks of pregnancy pay and I came back and was put in a role that was very, very demanding. And, you know, it just, it was a tough, tough world. And so I'm hoping that women today 
can lend a helping hand, appreciate the fact that it used to be tougher, and uh, embrace the opportunity, uh, because I think we've got a lot of opportunity now. And not just focus on women for women, but focus on diversity, whether it's yeah. you know, people with different passports, different uh, mental models, uh, people of color, people of different backgrounds. I think there's not enough diversity. So I actually went to a woman's conference the other day and walked out of it because I felt like it was too self-serving for female millennials looking at women for women versus uh, how we embrace diversity. Yeah, I absolutely agree with you. And so in January 2018, I started the Woman in Supply Chain series. But last year, I really took a look at diversity and inclusion as a whole and how I could make an impact and how we could expand that conversation more than just gender, because it really, really needed to happen. And I started thinking about this, you know, beginning of 2020. And I took about six months to really figure out how I was going to put this content out there because I didn't want it to just be another podcast. I wanted it to be a place where people from different walks of life in supply chain could come together and have an authentic conversation. You and I are talking about authenticity, you know, and empathy and, and all of that. And that's what I wanted. And so I created another podcast called Blended. Um, and I think we've been able to do that. We just released episode five and you're right. You know, we've talked about gender a lot. I think we still need to talk about it, but I think there's a, a bigger picture here when it comes to diversity and inclusion. And we need to be able to have those conversations and bring them to the forefront so that we can move this industry. That's a great industry forward for not only the people that are working in the industry today, but the people that are going to be working in the industry tomorrow. Right. You know, so, you know, just some insight. Uh, I'm a Myers-Briggs INFP. And um, I think it's 7% of the industry is a Myers-Briggs INFP, which is how I think, how I see the world. And the traditional supply chain world is ESTJ, which is really much more about, you know, getting things done in the present, whereas an INFP is really looking at thoughts and big picture. And not only was I an INFP in an ESTJ world, I was the only female. And a lot of times when I was, you know, pushing myself along, because it wasn't always pleasant, I wasn't really aware of, you know, the dissimilarity and, um, you know, so, you know, really understanding diversity more holistically is, yeah. I think, an important factor. Absolutely. I'm so glad you said that. So you've worked in supply chain in different areas for over 35 years. We've talked about this. Um, I'd love to hear your thoughts on what has changed over the years. And as the supply chain shaman, what are your predictions for new trends we should be looking out for? So when I first started working in manufacturing, because remember, we didn't have supply chains back then. <clears throat> it was a very regionally focused um, set of operations. And automation, I, we didn't have computers at our desk and we didn't have Excel and we didn't have, you know, what we have today. Uh, I got a fax every morning about my remote operations and 
you know, I carried around a little white card, which had my meeting schedule. And, you know, I gave my uh, meeting notes to the typing pool. And uh, so it's a very different world today. You know, you don't have typing pools anymore. And, you know, we've become much more automated with email and um, that's good and bad. So let's pick up that thread. But what we haven't done is we haven't really automated the way we work. Uh, so really thinking about how do we work more effectively? And one of the interesting things to me in the pandemic is I think all of the remote meetings and the remote facilitation platforms is a good opportunity for us to think about meeting effectiveness and inclusion. I, in one of my, you know, afternoons with Joe, we talked about this and he was a global supply chain leader. And he said, you know, Zoom meetings, it could be Word or Microsoft Teams or, you know, whatever the platform is, really helps to put everybody on an equal playing field. So you no longer had those that were in the office and those that were outside the office, but you could see their pictures and you could see their family life, right? You know, he was laughing that he had a meeting the other day and this guy had just had a baby and his wife was trying to work and the guy was rocking his baby on the call and it brought in the human element, right? Yes. And he said, you know, we will, you know, never have meetings the same way we used to, right? Where, you know, we're in some boardroom and people call in. He says, I think the definition of the office and the definition of the meeting will be different. And I really hope that we carry with us the equality of hearing everybody's voices that we can get through remote meetings, the personalization, you know, the fact that he was so embracing of this young man who had just had a baby whose wife was working and he needed to basically help to get the baby to quiet and he was rocketing back and forth. I mean, how wonderful is that? And then third is that we can constantly evolve in how we do work. And, you know, whether it's the virtual um, facilitation uh, techniques or it's the... Um, Dropbox or box techniques that we can look at new technologies and how we can evolve how we work. I think we got too structurally encased in how mm -hmm. we did work in the 80s and 90s. And, you know, the ties and the stale offices and the typing pools and the people that were the moderators of meetings. And, uh, you know, it, I, it's good to see us break through some of that. So, I'm hoping that continues. You gave me chills, but then I also started thinking about all of the wasted time we spent previously, you know, with all of the meetings that didn't necessarily need to be meetings or somebody taking over a meeting and taking up half of the meeting with what they wanted to talk about and didn't get to the rest. And yeah, so I think you're absolutely absolutely right. And we're, we're never going to go back to the way that it was. I mean, people are talking about hybrid models of going into the office. So I want to go back to your journey. And this is a question that we ask all of the women, and it happens at different parts of their journey, right? Sometimes it's a big event. Sometimes it's a slow burn. How did you find your voice? How did it happen for you? I mean, you're talking about being in supply chain before it was supply chain, 
you know, and having some great mentors, having some not so great mentors or cultures that, that, that were a part of your journey. How did you find your voice and when did that happen for you? Well, first of all, let's talk about what is voice. Um, I was having a conversation the other day with a leader in manufacturing for a global multinational and uh, I have a lot of respect for her. And we were talking about what is the difference between a pushy woman and a directed woman? And we're actually going to do a podcast on this. And, uh, you know, because I think successful people are directed and driven. And I think that depending upon the organization's culture, a driven woman can be seen in very different ways. And I think that a woman has got to be comfortable in her skin. And I think if you're not comfortable in your skin, that you can come across as being pushier than you need to be. And so being comfortable, you know, whether it's tonality of voice or how you approach a subject, the first step I think of gaining voice is being comfortable in your own skin and telling yourself every day, it's okay and not being scared. I remember I was so scared because I was the only female voice and, you know, it was like, you know, I was afraid they wouldn't take my opinion. And so every time I voiced my opinion, I'd have to get the energy to voice it and then would come out a little squeaky and a little awkward. And that wasn't what I wanted. So how can you get comfortable in your own skin? The second thing I think is how can you be a mender of different ideas? How can you bring divides together? And I've studied a lot of history and how you diffuse uh, situations I think is really critical because I've always been extremely creative, always pushing the barrier, ruffling feathers, you know, you wanted a class in 101 ruffled feathers, you know, the early Laura can, you know, tell it with steel, you know, in fact, there's a LinkedIn article I wrote about um, lessons I learned when I got fired. And my boss wrote the counter story to that about how I was, you know, a very directed woman. But I learned that diffuse situations with humor with storytelling and um, admission of failure. That when you're able to realize that you've pushed a group too far or perhaps you're the issue or perhaps other people are you know, fighting about things unnecessarily, the more that you can tell stories, have a sense of humor, poke fun at yourself, the more you can diffuse the situation. And if you're a person that can kind of assuage, you know, ruffled feathers versus creating ruffled feathers, the more that you'll get a voice in the room. The third element I would say about voice is I've worked hard to try to get voice in my writing. Uh, An early writer uh, forces themselves too much, right? It's... uh, 
it's not comfortable, right? And so when I talk about getting naked in my skin when I write, that's that's real for me, right? And I, you know, I use tools like Grammarly, and I have other people read my writing. And but you know, the more I'm able to tell stories, stories from the road, stories of failure, stories of leaders, the more I can use data, the more I can make it humorous the easier it is for people to read it. And I think they enjoy it. It's more memorable. But that voice requires courage. It requires you to not be the expert, to be listening, to be prodding, to be probing, to be searching. And that takes courage. And uh, building the voice in writing has been a journey I've been on for the last, Uh, 15 years. And I actually had somebody say to me the other day who is a coach, you know, of my writing. She says, you know, Laura, read your writing now and read your writing 15 years ago and celebrate the fact that your writing has gotten a lot better. And uh, that was hard for me to do because the prior writing I had was pretty forced and it was you know, you could tell I was trying too hard. And uh, so finding voice in writing has been my recent journey. So I think first is finding voice in your own skin, finding voice in meeting dynamics, finding voice in meaning for writing. I think those are three elements of voice I would share. Wow, that was incredible. And I'm, I'm glad that you shared that with us. It's not really the context that I've ever really explored before. But I think you're right. I think, you know, we have to take a look at what that what we want that voice to be in our own lives, which can then also translate into the professional life. So I want to know about the future. What's the future hold for you, Laura? Well, you know, who knows? So supply chain futures, I think, are exciting. And I hope to always have my hand on the rudder until they put me in the grave to be able to help supply chain leaders in some way. I hope to never be on an airplane 250,000 miles a year like I was pre-COVID. In fact, you know, I'm struggling now to even connect with that prior Laura who was brain dead, you know, slugging up, you know, suitcase from airport to airport and worried that the passport wouldn't come because I needed more pages, right? That world, I just felt dead, right? I was like too much travel. Uh, You know, I really am happy to not be traveling, to be eating better and exercising every night. I take ballet by Zoom and hope to do a pirouette on point before I die. And you know, gardening and, you know, connecting with friends in different ways and writing my book. Uh, I never want to travel again like that. Uh, I'll travel some, but not like that. And, um, you know, I'm just going to continue to try to help the best way I can. And I'm not sure what that looks like. Awesome. Well, we can't we can't wait to to see that. And it's interesting that you bring up that that travel perspective because some people I've been talking to that used to travel a lot really really miss it and some people like yourself, you know, it's like I'm not going to get back to where I was before because like you said it was it was a bit unhealthy, not only mentally but physically as well. So last question and I can't believe we're at the end of this interview. I have enjoyed this 
so much and I can't believe we've waited this long, but finally, you know, what advice do you have for girls and women looking to follow in your footsteps or looking to just get into supply chain? Well, you know, it's funny because, you know, supply chain, the word didn't exist when I was moving through career options. So the first thing I would say is don't attach, you know, your flag to any one word. Really realize that you'll probably go through 10 or 12 different careers in your lifetime. And the career that you imagine today, you're just not going to be able to imagine what the possibilities are. So say yes and open doors and, you know, move through and take advantage of opportunities and take care of yourself. And don't be afraid to embrace new ideas, to take jobs that you think you may not be ready for, uh, Try to find mentors, try to find good friends, try to always ground yourself in what you're comfortable with. Um, I always say to people, we have kind of this moral compass and it's hard to really put words around it, but we know when that moral compass is not balanced. And so stay true to your core values and work on refining your skills learning from others that you admire and managing your career in a way and saying yes as doors open and don't try to force fit your career into the future because if you do if you say i'm going to take job a and then i'm going to take job b and then job c you're going to limit your opportunities because we're not smart enough to know what that's going to look like yeah yeah i love that so there is not a lot about supply chain that Laura does not know. And I am really excited to see what impact she and supply chain insights continue to have on our industry. And for all of the women out there listening, I hope you feel inspired. Head over to LinkedIn, follow Laura, and keep listening and learning to the content that she's bringing to our industry. Thank you again so much to the fabulous Laura for coming on the show today and sharing with us all of your thoughts and perspectives so genuinely, authentically, and I just appreciate you. Oh, well, thank you. Good connecting today. Stay safe and warm. This episode was produced in collaboration with Border Buddy, the most innovative online customs platform out there. And here is what Graham, the founder of Border Buddy, has to say. More and more companies are looking to expand their reach into global markets, but most don't know where to start or don't have the time to figure it out. Border Buddy sees the struggle and has found a way for you to integrate customs into your e-commerce site, allowing you peace of mind when selling to customers in other countries. Your customers will know exactly how much the costs are to import their order from you to their door in real time. And just imagine what that will do for your business and your sales. Visit us and sign up for 10% off your first clearance at borderbuddy.com slash let's talk supply chain. If you would like to hear more from us at Let's Talk Supply Chain, we have plenty more podcasts for you featuring the best and the brightest in the industry 
plus all sorts of innovation. So if you have a supply chain challenge that you're looking for a solution for, head over to letstalksupplychain.com forward slash podcast and use our category filter to find that solution. And remember to come back next week where I will be talking to Susan, founder of Top Rank Marketing. You are not going to want to miss this because we are talking about influencer marketing, what they are doing in the supply chain marketing space, and what we will be doing for the next couple of months as far as a campaign is concerned and how you can get involved. If you enjoy our podcast, there's a few ways to support the show. You can follow us on LinkedIn, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and now even TikTok. You can subscribe to our YouTube channel, Let's Talk Supply Chain, and you can also subscribe to our newsletter over at letstalksupplychain.com. Next, visit ships.com and sign up because we're in full beta. And if you are a freight provider or an importer and exporter that wants to just streamline the process and the pricing of your air and ocean freight shipments, we are the platform for you. So go and check out ships.com and reach out if you would like a demo today. You can also find some really cool merch and purchase our exclusive supply chain dictionary in our shop at letstalksupplychain.com forward slash shop. And remember, if you want to be featured on an upcoming episode, Go and rate and review us over on Apple Podcasts. Have a great week, everyone. Thanks for listening. And remember, ship happens.